Hey, mothers and lovers. Welcome to Hella Smart Mothers. I'm your host, Nicole Delahousse. I'm a boy mom, a wife, and attorney by day. I'm sure you're wondering, what is a Hella Smart Mother? A Hella Smart Mother is a mom who wants to be the best version of herself for herself and her family, but mostly for herself. If this is you, welcome to the mom squad you never knew you needed. Hella Smart Mothers starts now. So, quick disclaimer, this episode has a lot of medical information in it, and I want to make sure that none of my listeners are taking this as medical advice. If you have any questions or concerns about your health, your cancer status, or anything of that nature, please speak to your own healthcare provider. Welcome to another episode of Hello Smart Mothers. This is your host, Nicole. And in honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month, today we're going to be speaking with a close family friend named LaVictor Jefferson, who discovered that she had a 99% risk of developing breast cancer after undergoing genetic testing. According to breastcancer.org, one in eight women will develop breast cancer in their lifetimes. The statistics also go on to say that while white women are slightly more likely to develop breast cancer than African-American, Hispanic, or Asian women, black women are more likely to develop more aggressive, more advanced stage breast cancer, and that it is generally diagnosed at a younger age. Also, due to those statistics, African-American women are more likely to die from breast cancer. After the jump, we will talk about how LaVictor was able to take precautions that basically went on to save her life. She also gives us advice on what we can do to increase the odds of early detection and how we can help those who are battling cancer. So stay tuned after the jump and we'll get it in with LaVictor Jefferson. Hey, mothers and lovers. Today, I have a really, really special guest with me. I've actually known this young lady since she was about, what, eight years old? Eight or nine? Yeah, Somewhere it's been in that long. Range. A long time. Yes, I know, I know. Uh, her name is LaVictor Jefferson. She is a healthcare professional, a wife, a mom of two, a sister, a daughter, an aunt, a friend. And at the very, very young age of 31, her life was turned upside down when she received news that no one ever wants. She found out that she was positive for BRCA1 and 2 after doing a genetic testing um, due to a history of cancer in her family. So, Levicta, tell us what happened next. Uh, You got this positive hit for BRCA1 and 2. Let's explain to the listeners what that is. So what did you have to do? to get those test results? Well, actually what it is, it's a genetic testing. It, um, it checks for all different types of cancer, colon cancer. It just shows your risk and it actually shows the percentage of exactly what mutation that you're actually carrying. And what was yours for one in BRCA1 and 2? For my BRCA1, my mutation for breast cancer was 99.7. Oh, and wow. then the mutation for ovarian cancer was right at 97.6. So my mutation was actually pretty high. Wow. It was pretty good high percentages. Um, it was just the whirlwind of, after that diagnosis. It was I knew that my chances were high, but I didn't. Never would have imagined at that age of 31, 32, having to get my breast cut off, you know. Just never yeah. crossed my mind. <laughs> That's, yeah, like, man, that is traumatic. Why did you even take the testing? Like, what happened to bring you to that point? 
Well, my doctor actually recommended the test due to history. Um, I was just doing my regular yearly exams at my OBGN, never had any lumps or anything filling in my home exams. Um, With my mom being a nurse practitioner, I've always been educated to do self-exams in the shower and just never even felt any lumps or I never felt sick. It was just one of those things where, hey, let's get this thing checked. I had heavy cycles all the time. And that's when my OBGN was like, hey, let's, let's, I think we need to check for this. You know, you just never know, especially knowing that you have history. Right, right, right. With it, you know. Who in your family also has been diagnosed with cancer? Well, I have several siblings with it. I have um, several sisters and a brother that's carrying breast cancer. My sister is actually a survivor of breast cancer, which is a, you know, Cancer Center of America is such a beautiful place. But she's actually gone through remission. And, you know, he, she's fantastic. fought it twice. Oh, so, wow. um, yeah, it returned in her and. You know, I was just there firsthand watching her go through all this, th- this right. thing and fight this thing and was there with her during the surgeries and draining cups and never would have imagined I would have had to drain my own cups less than a year later. Oh, my God. So we're going to get into that. So you got the BRCA, excuse me, analysis. You tested positive. What happened next? Well, after I got the positive result, they linked me up with a genetics counselor And what she did is explain to me what my mutation was, exactly what mutation risk I was carrying and what the percentage was. And of course, at that time, I didn't fully understand what it was, but I was like, hey, you know, what do I do to to cure this thing? Like, what do I do when this comes back positive? And she said, well, the only thing you can do is if you decide you want to live is to get both breasts removed and we can make the decision to do a full hysterectomy. And I'm thinking, oh God, a full hysterectomy can't have any more babies and I'm 31 years old. Wow, yeah. Yeah, that option was taken. But that was the option that I had. It was either within the next year, three months, tomorrow, you just never know how fast this thing can spread and your mutation is so high. And we didn't know which side it came from. Apparently, it, it was showing from both sides of the stem cells. So wow. basically, you know, it was such a strong risk. So it was either let's get it out now or sit and wait till you get it. It wasn't if you get it, but when. So that's kind of how fast that situation went down. Wow. Okay. So they tell you, okay, you're going to have to have these surgeries what did you do after that? And like, so just to back up also, you have two kiddos. How old are your kids? I have one that just turned five on Monday and I have a 12 year old. They'll be 13 in October. Oh my God. I cannot believe your baby boy is about to be 13. That's crazy. He's a big boy now. He's a I junior know. high. I know. What? He's a big boy. <laughs> that makes me feel old. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, you've got these two kiddos and your husband, like what? How did you break the news to them? What was that conversation like? Well, I was actually at work. And when I got the positive result on my patient portal, at that time, they sent me an email and told me that, hey, we're going to do a conference call with my OBGN, an oncologist and the genetics counselor at that time. So I hadn't actually talked to my husband until probably later that evening. I was actually at work when I got the news. So I had to wait till I got off. And Ugh. Yeah, no. So I had to sit the whole day on a Friday at that um, with oh, that news. Man. And so 
finally I got a hold of him on my lunch break and I said, well, you know, my test that we did a couple weeks ago is positive, but I don't think he, he understood it at the time. He was just mm-hmm. like, wow, okay, well, what do we do? Right. Can't we take the medicine and get all this situated? And I said, well, the only thing I can do is to remove both breasts and do the proper precaution to make sure that it doesn't spread, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't think he understood it at first. <laughs> but after explaining it to him, he was just like, wow. Right. Like, That's, this is more serious than I thought. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So then what happened? So, you know, you broke it down to your family. All the doctors are on board. What did they tell you was going to happen next? So what happened is after I got that diagnosis, they signed me up with an oncologist. And then I had to go out and search for a plastic surgeon because I didn't know what my options were at the time. Mm -hmm. There's some people that do immediate reconstruction. Some people do. They just decide to just not get any expansion Mm -hmm, at mm -hmm. all but at the time I decided to get expanders inside of my chest so what they did is yeah it's expanders it's like a plastic ball that they insert under the skin to expand the stuff the chest muscles and the walls to be able to fill in breast at a later date just in case I wanted breast at a later time okay but during that time they all they wanted me to do is do a breast MRI and a breast mammogram I hadn't ever had one of those because, you know, I'm not 35 yet. So right. here I am in this breast MRI thing, kind of hogtied with my hands behind my back. But it was the most awkward position. And I drank the solution. Um, let's see, I got the diagnosis that Friday. By that following Thursday, I was getting a breast MRI and a breast mammogram. By so that- explain for us younger listeners who've never had a mammogram. What does that entail? Ooh, pretty much what they're doing is taking tissue out of the breast in some cases, depending on if they suspect that there's lumps inside the breast, which mine, I had lumps in the right breast. Mm -hmm. So what they can do is take a sample out of that breast. Um, They squeeze and they pretty much take different types of scans, almost like an x-ray on the breast tissue. Okay. The lymph nodes, they take all kinds of scans under the armpits, all in the upper chest, under the breast, on the side of the breast, just all different angles. Okay. That sounds not fun. (laughs) It hurts. People will tell you it hurts. (laughs) Okay. Mm, I thought the age was 40, but you just said 35. That makes me nervous. I'm going to be 36. African-American, it should Mm -hmm. be moved up to 35. I would definitely say my oncologist said now, with ladies, it's actually, you know, being detected so early now. That's and if true. You, it's like That's when true. you wait till 40, it's like you already it have stage three yeah. It may yeah. be too late. Yeah. Mine was caught very early at what a stage? very early phase. What stage mine was Mine was it? between a zero and a one. Oh, wow. So mine was at a very early phase. I didn't have to go through all the radiation. Okay. Um, mine was removed within two weeks. So I got that diagnosis and two weeks, everything was removed all at the same time. So let's let's back up into that. You got the diagnosis two weeks, you you have surgery, you have a double mastectomy and also the hysterectomy? Yes, I had the bilateral mastectomy November the 26th. I got discharged on a Thursday and then on that Monday I had a full, a total hysterectomy. So I'm in menopause right now too. I know it. Oh, it's the worst. So I'm on hormone therapy and 
Oh man, the just, picture. Oh my god. Here I am in a 60-year-old body with new boobs though. I mean, you look fabulous. I know the listeners can't see you, but you kick cancer's butt. That's for sure. Because you yes. look amazing. <laughs> All right. Okay. So that was surgery. Now, do we count that as two surgeries? That's two surgeries, right? That's so two that's, surgeries. That's two that's surgeries. Two. So within two weeks of getting this, this, these results, you've had two major surgeries that have yeah. now removed both breasts and all of your reproductive organs and sent you into early menopause. So then what happens next? What is that like? Oh, let's see. The first surgery was 12 hours. Um, The second one was right at six. Did you recover from the first and then they did the second or how did they do that? No, it was, um, I got out. I was still wrapped up and bandaged up with stitches. It was completely covered during the time. And what they did is just went right on in and did the lower part of my body, the abdominal area. They removed the um, ovaries, the uterus, the cervix, the fallopian tubes. Everything has been removed for me. Okay. That was probably a good three or four days after the last surgery. It was pretty quick because they didn't want to risk because my mutation was also high in ov- right, for right, ovaries right, right. too for ovarian cancer. So, you know, when you cut cancer, it spreads. Sure. So they were concerned that it would spread to the ovaries, which is why they made the decision to remove that so fast. That makes so it sense. was in a week apart, about a, a good four to seven days apart, they removed everything. My mom had a full hysterectomy when I was in high school. My mom is the toughest person that I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. Like her pain tolerance is incomparable and she was down for the count. So I cannot imagine having <laughs> both a breast surgery and having the hysterectomy like at the same time. Like, how are you able to function? Like, how did that go down? Believe it or not, you know, with my mom being here, my husband was here. I don't remember much. Good um, pain meds. <laughs> <laughs> that Shout first out week was kind of cloudy, you know. It takes about a, a good week to get all that anesthesia out of your system, you know. That's true. So by the time I got out of one surgery, I was back into another. So the first two to three weeks was a little cloudy for me. I don't remember much of it. I do remember the pain. It was <sighs> very painful. I was sure. more actually it was more pain in the chest than it was in my lower abdominal area. I always had cysts and pelvic pain, mm-hmm. so I was kind of used to that. Did they put the spacers in when they did the initial surgery or was that yes. a later? That was it. Oh, okay. No, they put those in immediately. So and you then, were getting all stretched out and healing. All in healing. Oof. Yep. So what they do is over the period of months, depending on when you do your reconstruction, they feel them. So over the months, you probably saw I was flat chested. Then I started getting bigger, which is the pictures that you probably mm-hmm. saw. Mm-hmm. I had a little bit of boobs. Everybody's like, you have boobs. And I'm like, no, these are expanders. They have to come out. Them things are very painful. They slide all up your neck and your sides. Oh, my your God. Chest. Girl, things were so painful. Was there a particular reason you elected to do that as opposed to going ahead and doing the like implants or anything like that? Or is that something you have to do first? Well, at the time, my oncologist said that because of my age, he didn't think that implants was a good option for me because, you know, the lifespan of an implant is 10 to 15 years. And plus, we didn't know if I was going to have to do radiation later. I didn't know what that result was going to be once everything was removed during that time. So he said, I really think we just need to put the expanders in. And later, after you heal, we get everything under control. Make sure you don't have to do 
any more chemo therapy or radiation, then we can opt to do that. But you know, your body tends to reject foreign objects. So that's another thing to worry about. So then I had never heard of a deep flap at that time. Never heard of it. What is that? Break that down for us. So a deep flap is what it is, is if they get, people look at it like a tummy tuck, but where they get the tissue from the abdominal area, let's say they can get it from different areas. They have tram flaps. They can get it from the back, the thighs, the stomach, the buttocks area, anywhere there's a lot of excess fat and tissue. And what they do is put that into the chest. But when they do that, they have to reconstruct the blood vessels and the arteries to recreate blood supply to the chest. So in some cases, you'll get a real rib removed. Um, They have to be able to get to the chest wall. So what they do is remove the vessel and the artery down in the leg. I had a deep flap. So mine was in the lower abdominal area. They removed the blood vessel and the artery from the thigh and they reconstructed it through the rib cage to the chest wall to get blood supply. That surgery was about 15 hours long. People look at it, well, you got a free tummy tuck. And I'm like, oh, no, it wasn't a free tummy tuck. (laughs) That sounds like way worse than a tummy tuck. Oh, it was worse. The decision's a little higher than a tummy tuck. And then the surgery is a little bit more intense. Because if that flap fails, you're back into surgery again. So So, what they did is... So let me make sure I understand. No, I just want to make sure I have a, a good understanding of what happened. So... They took that tissue from your lower abdomen and how, so like under the skin and muscles, they like traveled it up or like, how does that work? They just cut it out. They cut everything out from down low Uh and actually inserted it in up under the breast. Got it. So there's a scar. So -hmm. it's almost like, I don't want to call it a natural implants, but I guess like natural implants. Yeah. And some people get skin grafting, too. And see, I had enough skin pigmentation to where, since I did have the expanders, I had enough skin that was already there. So some people have to get skin removed to recreate breast. But I already had enough. And so they wanted you to do the deep flap as opposed to the implants because of all the maintenance, upkeep, and all of that with, like, silicone or saline or whatever implants. Right. Got it. Okay. That makes complete sense. Wow. Okay. So now we're at what? Surgery number three? Yeah. Surgery number three. That one lasted about 15 hours long. We were in hospital for about a week. I came home, was recovering very well. That was probably the worst surgery in my entire life. <laughs> Man, listen. Very like, painful. Like when you have abdominal surgery, like Ooh. people don't realize how much you use your core. Like you use your core for legit Everything, everything, coughing to blow your nose, to sneeze, yeah, laugh. (laughs) Like, I had a very minor surgery, but they had to go in through the stomach cavity or whatever. I just remember telling my husband, I was like, Don't make me laugh, like, I'm going to die. Like, do not, (laughs) it's very bad. Like, geez. And I want to have a tummy tuck in a couple years, and like, every time I just think about that pain from that minor surgery, I'm just like. I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> it is so painful. And imagine the incision from hip to hip and right up under the belly button. So y'all's was a little bit lower when you do a tummy tuck. Yeah. Or when yeah. you do a right birth incision. Spine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you go for deep flapping, it's a little bit higher because they have to have enough skin grafting sure. uh-huh. and tissue to get all of what they need to fill that breast. Ooh. 
So yeah, it's, it was a big surgery. That one was probably I will I don't wish that on anyone. <laughs> How long was the recovery on that? Well, I'm still down now. I've been out of work now since July, but six oh. weeks after I had that surgery, I ended up getting septic in the seroma, which is oh. the fluid in the tummy. They were draining it out manually with the syringe, but I ended up catching septic. I got a bad infection. My temperature was increasing. So I had to have an emergency surgery within probably 45 minutes. Oh so I goodness. just had that one probably about three weeks ago. I had that one about three weeks ago. So I feel a little bit better today. I'm still off work. Oh, um, man. I didn't so know that. So it kind of set me back a little bit. Yeah, that one kind of set me back a little bit. They had to open the incision back up to clean it out. They put drains. Some people get wound vacs, but I had drains inserted in my abdominal area. Did they do drains the, the first time or no? Not in the abdominal area, only in the chest and on my side of my arms, I had drains. They were just manually pulling it out. I mean, it was just literally overnight that infection just, and I was at my six week mark for <sighs> healing. Oh man, that's crazy. I know, crazy. I was almost to the end of the road and I felt like it and then boom. So they had to rush me back in. So that was surgery number four. That was surgery number four. And you said you have one more to go. What's that one? Well, what happens when people do a breast reconstruction? There's goals in different phases. Um, some people are in phase four, some people in five, some people in two. This will be phase three for me. What happens is when they do a deep flap, sometimes you have excess skin or pretty much leftover skin hanging from the side because it's not a tummy tuck. Right. So sometimes they have to go back in at a later date and sculpture the body or bring more tissue into the, the chest wall to fill it in a little bit more. But they did all of that with me within the first two surgeries, within okay. the first big one. Well, within the first deep flap, they did two major surgeries in that one. So that's why the surgery was so long. And so for phase three for me is they're going to go back in and tissue graft around the flap a little bit more to fill it in and pretty much fill in the top of my breast for a little bit just to kind of, you know, sculpture out the actual breast itself, um, mold them as they say. So they'll be able to, it's kind of like lipo all in the same time, all in the same way. So I'm getting a little bit of lipo, but what they're doing is fat grafting more into the Got chest. It. So it goes in phases. And if they don't get it all done in that one, then it'll be a stage four or phase Ugh. four. So it, it happens over a period of time. It's not a quick process at all. So that's why yeah, people wow. get implants because you get your implant and you're done. But if you decide to do a flap surgery, it goes in phases. You'll end up doing multiple surgeries. But the outcome is so much better. The that tissue is mine. Yeah, the tissue is mine. I don't have to have foreign objects inside sure. of my chest. And it feels more natural. They hang <laughs> and they're sitting low, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're not hard and, and so fake soft. feeling. Yeah. Until I saw your story on Facebook, like I'd never even heard of a deep flap. I, I think I asked my mom about it. You know, my mom's a nurse too. She explained it a little bit, but I was like, okay, I'm starting to feel queasy. Like I don't... <laughs> It's a big surgery. It's a long, big surgery. I mean, it could that surgery can last 15 to 18 hours long. It's a very long one. So you're under for quite a long time. Wow. <laughs> so how has your, you know, your family kind of handled all this? Were they super worried? Were, you know, oh, yeah. 
You know, you've been so strong throughout all of this. I have been following, you know, your Facebook and checking in on you every now and then. I never want to feel like, want you to feel like I'm being nosy or anything. So I kind of just... look it up, girl. I don't (laughs) mind. I'm very open about it. (laughs) Yes, you are. And I really appreciate that because, you know, you're so young. And so people around our age, they usually, they don't even think about, you know, this kind of stuff and that it could happen to them or anything like that. So let's pivot into that. What is some advice that you would give, especially young Black women? Because I know that the statistics say that we are at a higher propensity for breast cancer, ovarian cancer, uterine cancer, things of that nature. So like, what advice would you give to, you know, women within that 25 to 35 year range who normally would not be looking for these type of symptoms? Early detection. Definitely get that genetic test done. A lot of these insurance companies are covering it now. Mm-hmm. They'll try to avoid it. But if that history is there, you know, anybody, even if their history is not there, get that test done because there's a possibility that detection is there and you can jump on it as early as possible. If I had known about it two years ago, I would have done it. But I would definitely say start getting that testing done, doing more self-exams, Um just start asking, you know, about your history. Start asking these OBGYNs to check because a lot of times they really won't check you. They won't. They don't like to do these tests because they're very pricey. They are. But I would definitely tell anybody, start checking. Get that genetics test done. BRCA1 and 2. Get all your chances. Know your risk early before it even gets to that. That's the best thing I could probably put it if I had waited any longer. It probably would have gone. And then the the BRCA1, I think, rejects a lot of the chemo and radiation, which why a lot of people go through remission more than once. I didn't know that. Yeah. Your body rejects chemo when you have BRCA1, depending on what stage it's in. It's very aggressive. Okay. It comes very, very aggressive. So it's good that I caught it when I did. I caught mine very early. That's why I call myself a previber, because I was able to get past all the radiation and deteriorating of my my cells and my body, you know, by getting it out early. So you didn't have to do any chemo or radiation or any of that stuff? I did take the pills at the very beginning. They have tamoxifen pills at the very beginning. And then, of course, after that, after everything was removed, that was it. I have to now get checked. I get checked every three months now because it is a possibility that it could still happen, but my chances are now, you know, 99% at a better risk rate. Got it. Okay. So Wow. So you've been very vocal and very, like you took these amazing pictures and I hope you'll allow me to share those on social media. Yes. I'm not going to lie. When I saw them the first time, it kind of made me tear up because I was just like, oh my God, like, we're Victor, like. Yes, and, it, and it's because you know I've known you since a kid, since we were both kids, and like a little sister. Like, how and, could this be me? Yes, I was just <laughs> like, how can this be my little Victor? Like, I can't, I, I couldn't quite wrap my head around it. And so, as I looked at him, I was like, this is absolutely beautiful, and I'm so amazed, like, at your strength and at your, you know, resilience through all this. Like, you, I'm sure. On the inside, you had moments of like fear and whatever, but what you have put forward to the world is showing like be strong and like fight. You've done that. 
That is absolutely amazing. There is something else I wanted to touch on. So I saw your post from yesterday and I have had this same thought about the whole like pink out Susan G. Coleman, <laughs> like how it's so capitalized, how businesses will turn everything pink for the month of October, but then November through September, they don't even donate a penny to, yeah, you know, like to that. breast cancer research or survivors or anything to that effect. So I wanted to talk about that just a little bit. Like, can you go into a little bit of what you were talking about yesterday on your Facebook about your feelings on that? Well, what I think about it is, you know, a lot of people, they want to do the tutus. They want to pink out, rock out. But no one actually looks at at it in depth. Um, A lot of these foundations, they make it very hard for you to get help. Certain ones that I've reached out to, it's just hard to get people to support you, period when you're at your lowest, I would say. But a lot of these foundations, I would say I've reached out to a few during my process, just trying to maybe get supplies that I may have needed. And they have so many stipulations and guidelines to receiving and getting that help. And I'm just like, you know, why does it have to be so many stipulations? And if we're all dealing with this thing, this thing called breast cancer or mastectomies or any type of thing that deals with cancer. I mean, it's not just breast cancer. It's just all kinds of cancers. Sure. You never really see any of it. Um, You get a very few foundations and very few people that will actually really help you during the process of going through it. So I think it was just me being realistic about it and touching it. Let's be real about this thing. It's not about what people think it is. It's I had a friend tell me, I know someone that's going through it. It's not as big as you think it is. They downplay your situation because they're not the ones experiencing it. What do you you mean? They said they don't think it's big of a deal. You know, it's not big of a deal. Or I know, you know, just because you know someone that goes through it doesn't necessarily mean you've experienced it. It's different for everyone. Yeah, there's different types of cancer, the aggressiveness. There's so many factors. It is. And, you know, emotionally, we deal with so many things. Our families are impacted. Our children, our finances. My finances are taking such a major hit because I've only been able to work five months out of the year. So people don't look at the the bad and the ugly of Mm -hmm. getting these type of diagnoses and these testings done. They just don't see it. And I think that post was more of, let's be real here. Yeah, you want to put the pink tutu on, you want to put the pink shirt on, you want to support, but are you really supportive to someone that's really in need? Somebody's going through it. You know, we have to be uncut and raw about it. It was some pictures I wanted to post. And I was just like, out of respect for my husband, I, of course, I didn't post them. But I'm like, we, I want people to see the real. I want them to know what I'm going through over here. I don't want to be quiet about it. I don't want my head. You know, some people feel like I'm too open about it. They, you know, put your shirt on. You got these pictures with your shirt off. No, let's talk about it. Let's be open and real about this thing because it's killing us. It's, it is. Like, and open. I find that so funny. Like people like put your shirt on, but then they watch music videos or like look at magazines and whatnot with like half naked girls. And so yeah. that whole hypocrisy about breasts and women's bodies and all of that like they only want to see women's bodies in like a sexualized form for mm-hmm. their 
gratification but when you show a woman's body in a situation like yours or even like something as innocuous as breastfeeding or like any of those type of things when it's literally not for male consumption it's a problem and like share that share the positive thing out of the deal you know let's share the good and I was just very open of course when I first did it of course I talked to my husband about it I said how do you feel about this because you know my shirt is off and he said that's fine you know it's not like I have any nipples. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> I mean, also, it's like, it's not a sexualized thing. It's not. Like, you were showing, like, <laughs> this is what breast cancer reconstructive surgery looks like. And hell, I appreciated that because, honestly, I've never seen it before. Like, I just, thank God, haven't had anybody in my immediate family that has had to have a mistake. I have an aunt that, that had breast cancer, and she did a lumpectomy and radiation. And so... She didn't do a full mastectomy. And so I've I've never seen that before. And and seeing your pictures, I was just like, wow, like, A, wow. Okay, girl, I see you. And then B, like, (laughs) wow, like, I didn't know, like, that's what the incisions look like. I didn't know that, you know, you're going to have to get a nipple tattooed on. Like, I didn't know that kind of stuff until kind of watching your story. And so I really appreciate you sharing that. And I definitely think the information that you provided to the listeners will be super helpful. How can we help? Like, how can my listeners and I, what can we do to help people like you, you who are in this situation? Well, I don't know. As I mean, I would always say check on your strong friends because sometimes we do get weak um, emotionally. If you know somebody going through it, just check on them or Try to go get yourself tested and do those walks for a good reason. Um, Just donate to those good foundations. I mean, it's okay to donate. Even if you have to donate to people personally, try to help in any way you can. I would have never said in a million years, I wanted help or I needed help. But now that I'm going through it, I need the help. So if you know somebody going through it, reach out. Check on your strong friends. Try to... Get that testing done and be there to support, even if you don't know the person. Try to figure out ways that you can support, not just in the month of October. Sure. Donate or help, assist. You know, we can get clothing, chairs. There's all kind of ways now that people can can be supportive. Just be supportive through the whole year, not just in October. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Well, LaVictor, thank you so much for taking this time to share this with us. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm so happy that you are a previvor and that you were able to catch it early and that you got this fabulous rack now that you're going to be. <laughs> I love them, girl. I, I just be moving them and moving them. So 2020 <laughs> hot girl summer. Um, yes. Day. Yes. <laughs> I'm here for I'm ready it. to wear a two-piece, honey. I ain't been yes. able to wear a two-piece in a long time. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, again, thank you so much, LaVictor. And I will put in the show notes, like, some of those organizations that you did mention. Will you allow me to share your GoFundMe? You can share my GoFundMe. You can share my PayPal. You can share my Cash App, honey, whatever. You can share pictures, everything, honey, whatever yes, you want to do. Ma'am. You have open access, ma'am. All right. I will definitely do that. 
All right, mothers and lovers, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Hella Smart Mothers. I hope that Miss LaVictor was able to give you some really good information and advice about breast cancer awareness, breast cancer testing and genetic testing and all that good stuff. So, all right, mothers and lovers, we'll talk soon. I'm so happy that LaVictor shared all of that amazing information with us. And, you know, after having that discussion with LaVictor, I did something that she really made me think about during our conversation. And that was I went back to my 23andMe um, report. I, I did my 23andMe genetic testing about two years ago. And it also offered health reports, but I turned them off because I don't know, I just, I didn't think they were necessary. I didn't think that there was any particular reason that I would want to see whatever was on those reports. But after talking with Le Victor, I was like, you know, I really should check to see what my status is as far as BRCA1 and BRCA2 um, variations. So I turned on the reports and checked them. And thankfully, I do not have those mutations. And I know for some people, you probably had no idea what we were talking about. And so just for your own edification and just and also please go research anything that we talked about on this episode. You know, this is not medical advice. We're not health care specialists or anything like that. So please, 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 if you have history of cancer in your family, early detection is going to be the biggest life changer, game changer, lifesaver that you can have. But just so you know, BRCA1 and BRCA2 are human genes that produce tumor suppressor protein. So basically, they are what kill tumors in our bodies if we start developing cancer cells. Um, specifically, these proteins help repair damaged DNA and play a a role in ensuring the stability of each cell's genetic material. But when either of those genes is mutated or altered, that protein that it produces either is not made or does not function correctly. And DNA damage may not be repaired properly. So I know a lot of times people hear about free radicals and all that kind of stuff and antioxidants and all of that. Like those proteins that BRCA1 and BRCA2 create produce are what kills those free radicals and what kills those other cells that could cause cancer. So definitely please, again, if you have any question about cancer or concern, anything like that, go get whatever test you need to get done. Go get those mammograms, take a genetic testing, do whatever you got to do. But again, LaVictor, thank you so much for speaking to us about that. I will share her GoFundMe link in the show notes. I think I'm going to donate any proceeds that I'm able to make from my sponsorships on this podcast to LaVictor. So for every download or stream that we get, we get like 1.25 cents. (laughs) So please share this episode with anyone that you can. Any of the proceeds that we get from it, I will donate to LaVictor because she has had a tough time not being able to work. And I want to make sure that she and her family are okay. So let's do a quick little pivot to our gold star and um, our timeout for this week. And for my gold stars, I want to keep on trend um, with breast cancer awareness. And I have a couple of organizations that I want to give gold stars to because they all give 80% or more 
of their funds that they receive to programs and services. And those organizations are the Dr. Susan Love Research Foundation, the National Breast Cancer Coalition, the Breast Cancer Research Foundation, and the National Breast Cancer Foundation. So please, guys, if you want to donate any money to organizations, definitely do your research and find out how much money is going specifically to research, to programs, to services provided to the community, and to actual survivors of breast cancer. And this is a little bit trivial, but just to provide a little bit of levity to this episode, I am going to give a big fat timeout to magnetic eyeliner and false eyelashes. So on the last episode, I gave my gold star to Lash MD Lash Serum that has definitely helped grow my eyelashes out because they were little nubby nubs from wearing lash extensions for too long. And so also wanted to try something that didn't make adhesive on my lashes and consequently rip out my eyelashes. So I wanted to try this magnetic eyeliner. Guys, it freaking sucks. Maybe I got the wrong one. Maybe I don't know what I'm doing. It's probably user error, but no matter what, I am not the only one who feels this way. And so I'm going to put magnetic eyeliner with your magnetic eyelashes in the freaking corner until you guys provide better instructions of how to use them. (laughs) All right, mothers and lovers. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Hella Smart Mothers. Again, please, please. Early detection is the number one preventative of death from breast cancer. So please go get those mammograms. And if you can, check out that genetic testing to determine your BRCA1 and BRCA2 status. All right, mothers and lovers, have a great week. Bye. This episode of Hello Smart Mothers was hosted, researched, and produced by Nicole Delahousse, show advisor, Louis Natasha Lafere. Sound editor and audio engineer for this episode was Emmanuel Olabinga. Hey guys, don't forget to follow or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss your time with the mom squad you never knew you needed.